Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Whether or not you believe in climate change or the food industry's contribution to the greenhouse gases ensconcing the earth and changing weather patterns, plenty of consumers do. And they increasingly are buying products based on their environmental impact, elevating sustainability and carbon labeling from a political talking point to a business priority. Currently, only a handful of companies disclose on packaging the total amount of carbon produced during the manufacturing, distribution, use, and disposal of their food products. But many more see the writing on the wall, and as such, they're developing rating and labeling programs to inform consumers about their product's environmental impact. For example, Unilever announced in July that it will include on labeling for all of its products their carbon footprint, and plant-based meat company Corn last year began displaying carbon information on labels for its most popular products, and other companies, including Nestle, are considering similar initiatives. In addition, companies including Danone, General Mills, Nestle, Sodexo, and PepsiCo all have pledged to reduce emissions to keep global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And to comply, they will need to determine the carbon footprint of their products, which may give them a chance to highlight that on labeling and in marketing. Despite consumer and market pressure, carbon labeling might not make sense for every brand and every product. And as such, companies will need to weigh such a project against other environmental, social, and governance issues to determine their best priorities. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Bruce Silverglade, a principal at OFW Law, and Brian Choi, the CEO of the Food Institute, shine a light on the evolution of the carbon labeling trend, its potential business impact, any legal risks, and share best practices for moving forward if it's in the best interest of the company. So consumer interest in the impact of food on their bodies and the planet has been rising in recent years. But in several ways, this trend was accelerated by the pandemic as consumers gravitated towards contactless delivery of groceries, meal kits, and takeout food, all of which increased the amount of waste and packaging that they could see that they were producing at home. This concern isn't likely to ebb once economies reopen, though, and consumers return to their pre-pandemic shopping habits. Rather, choice that he expects it to intensify, especially as younger Gen Z shoppers come into the prime of their spending and gain influence over companies and older generations. A lot of the adoption when it comes to the consumer perspective um, comes from the younger, I would say millennial Gen Z generations, right? So they're on social media, they're constantly on their phones, and a lot of the... um, a lot of the attitudes are are changing because, you know, as they as they start to follow influencers, right? And the rate of of adoption, I would say, or even kind of awareness, is also be, uh, becoming more accelerated, right? And it's partly it's because you know companies are starting to re, uh, to report on it. Media companies, you know, everyone's just talking about about ESG, so. 
the consumer is at a level now where um, they, especially in the younger generations, they will buy products and food products from companies that that share the same values values that they have. Um, and so, you know, the plant-based movement is all, is is a, is is a prime example, right? So, whether you know the issue is about um, animal welfare, um, whether it's about um, you know trying to de- decrease the carbon emissions, uh, for, you know, because um, you know because the you know uh, cows actually produce a lot of CO2, right? Um, so they they they've adopted the, this this um, wanting to to you know to help the environment, wanting to make sure that that people are are treated and workers are are, are treated fairly, right? Um, and and so they'll actually buy products that kind of um, that share their their values. And, and so this consumer adoption is really changing the way that large food companies are thinking about about ESG right so there, obviously there is the you know uh, you want you want the, the environment to to be better and all you know and and you know there is that but it's starting to affect the bottom line for the for these companies and that's why I think that's a strong impetus and why we've seen you know the Nestle the Unilevers of the world Tyson's they they're coming out very pu- publicly and if you, even cases aggressively Saying okay, we're gonna we're gonna adopt by this these policies, and every company that supplies to them must adopt to these um, by these standards. Um, so, you know, uh, it starts with the consumer, right? Uh, when it starts to hit the bottom line, companies start to take notice and notice very quickly, you know, and, and make the changes um, uh, very quickly. Choi also notes that companies are facing mounting pressure from the government, investors, and financial institutions to account for and reduce the environmental impact of their products. $490 billion were raised in sustainability bonds last year, right? And, that, and that's like green social sustainability bonds. This year, it's, gonna, it's, it's expected to go up to $650 billion in 2021. Right. Um, even when you look at the whole exchange traded fund market, and I'm a finance, you know, I come from a finance background, right? Uh, as an, you know, as an investor, so approximately 350 billion dollars were poured into ESG ETF funds last year, right? And, and, and so, so basically, investors are putting mo- money into these funds. Those funds are mandated with picking companies that adopt an ESG framework. If you're, if you're a company, if you're a public company uh, or even a private company that's looking to go public, if you don't, if you don't adopt these, these policies in your company, you're going to miss out on funding, right? So, the, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a financial cost to not adopting these policies. There's a cost of capital, meaning like if you want to borrow money um, to fund operations in your business, an ESG, um, ESG uh, framework will help lower that cost of financing. 
Um, and so it goes both ways, right? And so, you know, you, get, you have investors that are pouring all this money into, into ESG-focused funds. You have governmental organizations. You, you know, the United Nations, are, you know, they've, been, they've been on this for, for, for years, right? Um, you, have a, you have a new administration, a Biden administration, that is much more friendly to, um, to this whole agenda than, than the previous administration. So you're getting it at all, at all levels, right? And so companies need to, you know, need to really wake up and, 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 um, um, and really think long and hard about, about, you know, about this issue. It's not something, you know, in the past, food companies especially would just, you know, this would be a tertiary thing that they would, they would uh, want to adopt. Um, this year, it's, it's, it's completely different, right? Um, and so it's really front and center right now. Um, and so, you know, I'm advising all food company executives, hey, look long and hard, you know, this, this, this is, it's here, right? It's not, it's not something that's going to five, ten years away. This agenda is here. Now, some longtime players in the industry may recall a previous attempt to adopt carbon labeling, as a way to curry favor with consumers while simultaneously pressuring competitors to follow suit for the collective good. And while that attempt quickly fizzled, Silverglade suggests this one is more likely to have sticking power because many of the barriers that hindered the movement before have now been lowered or removed. Carbon footprint labeling isn't exactly new. Uh, Around uh, 2010, uh, the concept uh, of labeling foods with uh, CO2 equivalent uh, figures uh, came to be popular. Uh, Tesco uh, was really the first to introduce the label at that time, but it was a short-lived endeavor uh, and faded away after a few years, in part due to lack of impact with consumers. Um, it may have been ahead of its time, in other words, Uh, Also, there was difficulty in calculating emissions. The carbon equivalent number is based on a life cycle assessment of the production of a food product, uh, ranging from the original planting of the seeds and and the harvesting to the production of the finished product, including transportation to uh, retail outlets and so forth. And there was a lack of uh, consensus at the time on how to do that. Uh, since uh, 2010, uh, there's been several certifying organizations, the Carbon Trust and the World Resources Institute, among others, have established uh, standardized ways to calculate emissions. So that has brought that standardization has brought this matter back to the marketplace in a way that could be more reliable uh, for the consumer to re- to take a look at. Uh, that said. Um, there is no official standardized method for determining carbon equivalent uh, figures. Uh, the non-governmental organization schemes are uh, voluntary. They differ a little bit among themselves. And most importantly, uh, federal, regulate, federal regulatory agencies have not endorsed any particular scheme. So there still is some preplay in how to calculate these numbers, and that is still a bit of a drag on the uh, popularity of using this type of approach to marketing. 
For companies that are still hesitant to rely on third-party certifiers for protection against claims litigation or class action lawsuits, Silverclade recommends they follow the Federal Trade Commission's green guides when crafting carbon labels and corresponding marketing. There are ways to mitigate risks uh, when making a carbon equivalent claim. Although there are no set federal standards, um, we can look at, at several uh, parallel uh, standards developed particularly by the Federal Trade Commission for environmental claims that uh, I believe if companies follow, they will be in a safe territory in terms of making these types of label statements. So, for example, the Federal Trade Commission has general principles for what they call green claims or environmental claims, whether they be CO2 equivalent claims or, or recycling or other types of environmental claims. And they're basically, of course, we have the basic floor that claims it must be truthful, not misleading. Uh, but beyond that, um, the Federal Trade Commission has said that claims must have uh, substantiation for them in terms of competent and reliable scientific evidence. That's an important baseline, competent and reliable scientific evidence. And the second element of the FDA's general principles for green claims is that claims should be qualified or, or limited uh, with the disclosure. Uh, FDA, F, excuse me, Federal Trade Commission likes to use the word qualified to uh, render them truthful and non-misleading to consumers. So. In, in this, while there's no specific FTC rule on CO2 equivalent claims, the um, uh, principles we can get from, from the FTC's policy generally is that uh, claims should be uh, disclosed on the basis of, of the evidence of the statement. So, in other words, if a company chooses to use a particular certifier scheme, and it doesn't cover certain aspects of the life cycle of a product, that should be disclosed on the product label or at a minimum with a web link to the company's website, which would go into more detail. So the, the basis of, of the FTC's definition of truthful and not misleading for environmental claims is to uh, have competent, reliable scientific evidence to back up your claim, and when that evidence does not exist, disclose that fact to consumers that the claim is limited, it's qualified to a particular aspect of uh, the life cycle assessment uh, of a product. Uh, so I think if companies follow those basic tenets of FTC uh, uh, law, they'll be in safe waters. So despite mounting pressure to adopt carbon labeling, Silverglade notes that it is not going to be for everyone. He also emphasizes it's not an all-or-nothing gambit, but rather companies can determine if or how they want to evaluate their carbon footprint, and then if or how much they want to share with consumers and other industry players. The first step for a company is to do a general uh, assessment of whether carbon labeling uh, has a place in the company's uh, mission and, and uh, marketing plans. Uh, carbon labeling is not going to be right for every company. If you have a product uh, line that consistently produces a, a high CO2 equivalent rating, it's, 
it's not going to do much for your marketing. So, but you may want to know that anyway. You may want to go through the trouble of internally uh, uh, engaging with a certification organization to get those initial CO2 equivalent uh, ratings just so you know your, your, car, your company's carbon footprint and that information need not be made public to, to the consumer but could be used internally in the company's uh, future plans uh, if they want to, for example, develop a, um, a sustainability plan you know, five years from now, having this uh, baseline data would be useful for that matter. But let's say the company uh, has a uh, mix of product lines, some of which bear, would bear low uh, CO2 equivalent numbers. Um, they may want to move ahead and get those assessments made and certified and then use them in marketing in at least one of two ways. Uh, the first and most obvious is putting the information on the label. Some companies like uh, Panera, uh, the restaurant chain, have uh, decided that the numbers is too confusing, too novel for consumers to understand. So they, that company has developed the CO2 numbers for its, uh, several of its menu items and grouped them under a cool uh, menu item choice. They use the word cool. <laughs> it's a double entendre. And uh, they group those uh, items on the menu as, as choices friendly to the environment. Um, the actual CO2 equivalent number, those not disclosed because, again, the company thought it would be too confusing. How companies think about this uh, depends on their marketing strategy. So Unilever has pledged carbon equivalent labelings for all 70,000 of its products, um, a tremendous undertaking. Other companies may decide that only a small fraction of their products would benefit from a, a carbon equivalent labeling and develop the ratings for that particular product line or that limited category of products and then uh, create a new product line of environmentally friendly food products within their larger portfolio. That would certainly be a less intensive uh, undertaking and more practical for some companies. But certainly carbon labeling is a growing trend that fits the uh, product lines of numerous companies that produce uh, products that will have a low uh, carbon dioxide equivalent number. And uh, it's something that we feel is not going to go away, but it should be considered in the mix of uh, labeling foods as organic, as fair trade, as fair labor, and so forth. Silverglade recommends companies that are interested in learning more about carbon labeling look at the standards developed by the Carbon Trust and the World Resources Institute, which has spearheaded a movement to put climate-friendly or cool foods on menus. In addition, Choi encourages interested firms to tune in for a free webinar hosted by the Food Institute February 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time titled ESG Best Practices for the Food Industry. He also encourages them to keep their eyes open for other upcoming webinars that will break down different aspects of the evolving environmental, social, and governance responsibilities that consumers value and base purchase decisions on. And with that, we reach the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, 
profitable and safe week.